Welcome to Bluegrass Stories with Katie Daly and me. I'm Howard Parker. And welcome to part three of our three-part interview with Mr. Ben Eldridge. It's mostly, but not exclusively, about the banjo in this segment. Ben talks about his original banjo tunes, the banjos themselves, Bubba and Harvey and others, several classic breaks and introductions. We hear several testimonials about the importance of Ben's banjo playing over the years. And then we move to a discussion of the legacy of the seldom seen. Ben also muses a bit in dreams, perhaps about playing as a second banjo with Lester and Earl and one of his favorite all-time bands, Jim and Jesse. Here's Katie Daly and Ben Eldridge. How about you? Have you penned any? Well, I, I, I've written a bunch of instrumentals. I've never, uh, only one I think that we really recorded was called Smoke and Hickory. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I'm not sure I can remember a lot of them, but I've, you know, I used to make them up all the time, but I never, never, never brought them to the band, I don't think. Why? I don't know. I don't know. Because it's a we were we were primarily a vocal group, and uh, I was happy just being back there, uh, doing a little noodling around and trying to make them sound better. Well, I think you're doing more than noodling around because uh, I I have heard from several uh, banjo players. Uh, one Ira Gitlin who said uh, when I was in college I used the scenes recording of Dark Hollow from their Cellador album as the theme music to my radio program on a campus station. I remember liking a couple of things about Ben's banjo on that cut, things that are characteristic of his playing in general. First, it had a beautiful swing, a lilt to it that you don't often hear in bluegrass. It moved along better than many a tune that might actually be faster. And the other thing I remember was Ben's backup, which had a combination of playfulness and elegance. Lots of guys can play hard and fast, but Ben plays interesting. Wow. Thank you, Ira. <laughs> That's but really nice. The same sort of comments from someone that I know you admire is Alan Monday. And he said, oh, you could favorites. drive a slow song when you think, how does he do that? How does he move that slow song along? Wow. Wow. I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting Richard Bailey uh, wrote immediately. Actually, he didn't. He said, I'm not taking the time to write. I'm just going to call you and tell you that you know he grew up listening to your he was heavily influenced by you um john starling says great scrug style banjoist but in addition with ultimate taste and appropriateness with what and when he played that thing as well as the guitar which was important for the sometimes less bluegrassy material the scene did when i was with the band wow wow oh man Whew, hold my head down um, here. <laughs> are you feeling lightheaded? Good Lord. Is your banjo anywhere around? Because I'd like to for you to get your banjo out and let's talk a little bit about your actual instrument and maybe you'll play some of that stuff, oh, that man. tastefulness. Oh, Lord. Um, well, yeah, I can. It's around here somewhere. Okay. We'll talk about, we want to talk about the banjos I've had over the years. I've we'll do had. all of that. All right. Because that's what banjo play, players yeah. want to hear. Well, all right. Oh, yeah. Back. Okay. Here we go. For all right. Oh. So what is this banjo? 
Well, this banjo is really a fairly new stock Earl Scruggs uh, model, Gibson Earl Scruggs, about 10 years old. Um, and is this the one you call Harvey? No, no, I'll tell you about Harvey. Okay. Um, Harvey's the one I played way, a lot of the early stuff. Um, no, this is, this is one that uh, I guess Chris and I, my son Chris, who's a real good guitar player, uh, we used to go down to Picker Supply on a Saturday afternoon. That's a store in Fredericksburg. Store in Fredericksburg, a real great music store in Fredericksburg. And they have instruments hanging on the wall, and he, we'd go down and I'd pull a banjo down, he'd pull a guitar down, we'd sit down there and pick. Um, and one day we were down there, and this banjo came in from the Gibson, it was still in a box. They unboxed it, tuned it up, put it on the wall. So I picked it just, you know, just during the course of being down there, I picked it up and started playing it. And I really liked the way it sounded. I ended up buying it that, that afternoon. And really, never, I played it a little bit. I uh, played it for about a month or so, so and uh, I think I think about that time I got a, a, a Huber, and this one ended up ended up hanging up on a wall, and it hung up for about eight years, um, and uh, I, I took it down one day a couple of years ago and and uh, tuned it up and, and actually tightened the head on it, put some new strings on it, started playing. It, and went, whoa, this thing sounds pretty good. I like it. And so anyway, I just, um, and, and it stays in tune pretty well, and it notes pretty well. You know, it's, it doesn't sound like some of those great old, you know, $100,000 pre-war Gibson sound, but it's good. It's a really good banjo. So that's what I'm playing these days. It's hassle-free. And uh, let me see if I can... is what most of us are looking for in life and in banjos, right. huh? I gotta move my microphone back a little bit. talking about the slow uh, slow things the, the, there's a kickoff that I've done for years that people for some reason they like it um, I don't know um, and Dudley Dudley always he whenever we do the song he always introduces says something about the way I kick it off and usually whenever he does that I usually screw it up well when he points <laughs> it out right it's the start of a small exception For some reason, or, and a lot of people like that. I don't know why. It's real simple. It's so easy to do. It's just, well, uh, let's uh, give give a hint to the banjo players how you are doing that. Well, oh, it's just uh, just an open. Um, it's this, the tune is in B flat, and so I'm just using open G tuning. Uh -huh. 
and putting um, third fret on the third and second string. That's that's a F chord, F seven. But you got the D notes in there, which are part of a B flat chord, and it just seems to work pretty well. And uh, when I did that, I was I, I sort of was trying to channel uh, Sonny, because Sonny plays about as good a slow backup as a, as a, anybody, and it's really neat stuff. It's and so I, that, I was thinking Sonny Osborne when I, when I did that. Um, another slow thing we did was um, the um, last train from Poor Valley, you know, and that's uh, uh, real simple sort of thing. And I was thinking John Hartford on that for some reason or other. got a D drone in there which sort of gives it a, a little bit of a haunting effect because there's chords are changing behind it but this this note keeps showing up <laughs> so I don't know I do. Yeah. And, but you know, one of your favorites you said was uh, C&O Canal. Yeah. Was that your favorite because you like John's uh, words or you like the way... I just like the whole song. I, it's it's a beautiful song. Did you do something special there on the Not banjo? Really. Really? No, well, we used to, I do, do something so easy, I don't even I hardly have to even use my left hand. <laughs> and they used to, you know, one of the things that John used to do now, you know, he would say, Ben, it's a kickoff, it's tricky on this thing, so just... Well, he announced to the audience that, that what I was, and all I'm doing is I'm going. And I, and I used to put my left hand over on his shoulder or something while, right. I, was, while I was doing that. But and, having worked on the CNO Canal with mules, you have that sort of, the, the mules pulling those heavy barges aren't trotting down the towpath, but no. you get that sort of pace of uh, equestrian pace I guess there. I guess I don't I don't know but that was uh, that was when Starling that's that was in his songwriting days we we did that for a movie called when the past dries up the channel 4 here in Washington DC um, did and we actually went over to the studio um, and they showed us the the book that they there was a book there that uh, that they had sort of based it on. Plus, they we saw a lot of the footage that, that was going to go into the movie. And um, by golly, the next day he called me up at supper time. He said, "Man, I've, I've written this song. I want to bring it on down. Check it out. See if you like." And it just knocked my socks off right out of out of the bat. And it's, he he just put it together. And it's got, you know, it's got the theme of the of the movie. Uh, there was an old man who was telling stories. 
that they the had, lock keeper that, that, that they'd found, and um, and you know that was that's in the, in the it was in the book and it was also uh, in the movie. Yeah, he was a lock. Did you know him? No, I didn't know him, but yeah. we, I've seen the movie. And then we just we just went over um, in the studio and just picked a little bit. I mean, really. I think, you know, we played a couple of instrumentals, but they were just, we were just kind of sitting around picking and they were recording it. Uh, and it was almost just like we'd, we'd be sitting around a table playing, you know, and, oh, let's do John Hardy. So, oh, let's do Jesse James or let's do something. And, and they ended up recording it and using it in the movie. Mm. We're talking about Bandros. Okay. And what is it you look for in the sound? Well, there's, there's just a... You know, I, it's very difficult to describe in words. It's just uh, you know, I, I know it when I hear it. Um, I don't like a real pingy sound. I don't like a real high pitched sound. A lot of people will will tighten the head and they'll get it too tight, and it gets a real sharp ringy thing. I like a little bit of fatness in the in the uh, third string and fourth string. Um, but does this one have the appropriate I, flatness? I, I, Let's I hear it, what you're talking I, I about. I think it does. I think Pick it, it up does. there. And yeah. Uh, that's, that's one of the things. And, but not like, uh, there's something magic about those old Gibsons that people pay a lot of money for. And I wish, I had I had one. Uh, Are we talking Harvey now? No, we're not talking Harvey yet. The last, the last real uh, old Gibson I had got stolen from me. Uh, Back in 1989, it was a banjo that I'd played that I paid five grand for back then. <clears throat> and come to find out, it was made. Uh, it was in the first batch of what they call uh, RB3s. It was an RB, which is a five-string banjo. You know, there's there TBs and PBs and all that stuff. But this was this was a, an RB3 that was that had the original what they call a one-piece resonator flange which is this thing right here and um and, it, and a flathead flathead tone ring this is as opposed flat. to an arch top opposed to an arch top and it was in that first batch and if i had that thing now it would be worth a small fortune okay so how what was the circumstances of the theft we uh we were playing, it was a Friday after Thanksgiving in 1989, we were playing at the uh, Birchmere with Brian Bowers, and we didn't have to go on until about 11 o'clock. So we had, Barb and I had been down here, she she had a condo at the time up in, uh, in Arlington, and my guitar was there. And we, uh, we had, we left here, I don't know, six o'clock, went and had dinner halfway up at a place right up near Stafford. And then we stopped we stopped by her place to pick up pick up my guitar. And we went in and we were in there for about ten minutes. We did, literally had a we had a cup of coffee. We so your banjo was in the car. My, I left my banjo in the car. We were initially just gonna go in and pick up the guitar, uh, and then come right back. Well we ended up staying for about ten minutes having a quick cup of coffee. We got back out there, the car was gone. Oh, the whole car was gone? The whole car, gone. they had stolen the whole car. And, uh, and uh, the, we got the car, the car came back uh, a week later. Still had, I had a Peterson Strobe tuner in the back seat with the, with, with, and the banjo was in the back, in the back, behind the back seat. 
So Peterson Tuner was still there. I guess they said, well, I don't know what this thing is. And it was still sitting in the back seat, but the banjo was gone. And it's never been heard of or heard from since. And we got people out there with, that know what the serial number is. It's really easy to spot if you ever see it, if anybody ever saw it, because it was what they call a no-hole. It was a solid tone ring. This tone ring right here, this is a tone ring, this part right here. If you open it up and look at it, it's got little holes in it. It's got 20 holes around on the inside of the ring. The one I had didn't. And the guy that had owned it for years, a guy named Carl Hunt, did you ever hear him? Mm -hmm. Carl Hunt had owned that banjo. And he had dug little holes in the, between the, in the wood where the tone ring sits on the, on the wood rim. He dug little holes out, so I guess it'll, to let the sound out a little better or something. So you, you can spot it really easy. The serial number, I knew the serial number, 9473-3. What is it again, slowly? 9473-3. Um, and uh, but it it had it started off life as a as an original five string. Carl Hunt I think backed over it in the parking lot and busted the neck on it. And C. E. Ward, who was a real good luthier uh, down around Charlotte, which is where he was, was from, which where he where Carl was from, uh, had made a new neck for it. But I knew where the old neck was, and it had been repaired. A guy named Al Osteen, who just passed away not too long ago, had it. And I was going to try to talk Al out of it, but um, it, got, it got swiped before I had a chance to do that. Um, mm. I had it. I had it at the, but, and then, but my banjo that, I, that people sort of know about um, is Harvey. And I, Harvey is, uh, and the reason he's called Harvey, he's got a, when I got it, it had a, a, a plate right here. It was gold plated and it had it's Harvey. The, it's the rod. Yeah, it's, rod, it's a rod, it's a, it's a truss rod cover. Right. Um, and it had Harvey R. Brassy etched, in, etched on there. So Dave Williams, who's an old friend of, you know Dave. Oh, yeah. He was the one that named. He was the one that started Carl and Harvey, and uh, the one that got stolen, I called Bubba. Um, and what's this one called? This one doesn't have a name yet. Um, I don't. They're the only two banjos I had names for. And um, ninety-four seventy-three, the one that got stolen when I first got it, we uh, we were playing at a Grass Valley, California, and some I was showing it to somebody just before we went on stage. Um, and a lady and uh, we got done and she said does that thing have a name I said no I don't have a name for this one she said you ought to call it Bubba it sounded like a Bubba to me because it was a great sound but so that's I said you know that's a good name that's what, that's what we call it so Bubba Bubba's been gone since 1989 but we still we still watch out for it I've got my spies out there um, so, but it's never, it's never shown up anywhere. Uh, so I, I you know, I, we think, we think maybe it, uh, and they think maybe, uh, whoever got it didn't even know what it was. And maybe they just, who knows, they threw it in a river or I don't know. Hmm. Uh, but Harvey, um, was a, a banjo that I bought from Bill Emerson back in 1966. 
And it was a banjo that he used on a lot of the Jimmy Martin records. He did Sweet Dixie, cut Sweet Dixie with that banjo. I think Run Boy Run, and I don't know, I don't know what all else. Uh, but I know he did Sweet Dixie. I'm not sure about anything else. Um, but I bought it from him back in September of 1966. And there was a banjo that I used mm, first three or four or five years with with the scene, and all, I, I did all everything with Cliff with that banjo. Uh, and then the Stellings came along. People started putting banjos in my hand, you know, and um, I, I messed around. I had a whole bunch of them, you know. I got them and I'd get them and play them for a while, and they they move on. But but Harvey is is still in the family, but he's down with uh, Diana now. And I get I have visitation rights with, with Harvey. Um, <laughs> so, 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 but she's a long ways away now. But but uh, we go we can we go see her from time to time, and uh, I get to play Harvey, uh, and it sounds great. He's, he Harvey was a started off life as a Style Six, which was one of their fancy models with. Uh, and I th it, it, had, it, it was what they call a gold sparkle six. There were two, two kinds of sixes. One had checkerboard binding, sort of black and white binding along the side and on the resonator. And uh, the gold sparkle, and they had gold sparkle binding on the, along the sides of the necks and on the, on the resonator. Well, when Emerson got it, he didn't like all that stuff, so he had Tom Morgan just put white binding on the neck. And, and, he did, and it, it, was, uh, it, it, it was not a... It started off life as a tenor banjo, so it was like partial, you know, partial original Gibson. But it was an old flathead, and it was a great sounding banjo, and it still is. It still it's it sounds better than this guy right here, but it's a little harder to play. Um, it it uh, it's it's a little more finicky. This guy here, you can, I think, you can do anything to it, and it doesn't. It stays in tune. It doesn't note flat or sharp or anything. No like drama. That. No drama. It's, that's right. It's not a drama queen at all. There you go. Um, but it, it doesn't. You know, it doesn't quite have the the uh, the big sound. It, but it sounds good. I think it's it's a nice sounding banjo. And people tell me I've been getting a lot of compliments on it lately from just people out in the audience. What are you? What's that you're playing, man? That thing sounds good. So this is nothing. You know, this this has got no special value to it. I could. You know, if I sold it, it'd probably be worth you know about two grand, something like that. I think I paid eighteen hundred dollars for it from Brand. But it gets it done. Gets the job done. It gets it done for me. Um, and I have a Huber, which is a great banjo. I I, I like that a lot. Um, and then I have a parts banjo, which which has got bits and pieces from old off of old Gibsons, but they you know they came off of different banjos. That Snuffy Smith put together for me. Um, so. Uh, well, that in itself makes it special. Yeah, and and I used to I used to play uh, I played Stellings for a while, and the the and I liked them, but the problem I had with the Stelling, and I think I've told Jeff about this, I every now and again you have to tweak the banjo. You can you know you have to tighten the head up a little mm -hmm. bit, and, and I never could tweak. I never could tweak a Stellan. I I just don't know how to do it. When I when I would try to do well, it, is that that's actually called tuning the banjo head, isn't it? Well, or you can you can tune it. Uh, a lot of people you you can tap tune it. Yeah. 
hear that note? It's probably about a G note, dude. Yep. It's a little sharper than a, than a G note, I think. Um, and uh, some people like to tune them to G sharp. Some people tune them to G. I like, I like it sort of halfway between. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know. I would, I would, when the Stellings, I would have them and I would mess with it and then the sound would just go away. And at that time, when I was playing them, I was going out to California a lot. I was actually Jeff was living in San Diego, right. and so I just put the banjo, take it with me, and to go over to his house, he'd lay the hands on it for about five minutes, and it would come back to life. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It would come, it would come back to life. But I, I just, I never could do it myself uh, for some reason or other, and so. Uh, I kind of went back to the to the Gibson styles, but but he Jeff makes wonderful instruments, absolutely wonderful. I know Alan's been playing one for a long the time. Lord knows. Yeah. 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 A long time. Yeah. Well, let me ask you. Here you have uh, from a fellow who, when you were playing in the dorm room, said you had no interest at all in in playing out in front of people, and now you have for the past forty years. You're the original member. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> okay, so for 40 years, you've been playing with a band that truly can be said to have, to be an important bluegrass band, to have made significant contributions to the sound and the direction of the music. And maybe um, just defines the Washington sound uh, and the look uh, we were looking at your album covers. There's not a farmhouse on a rolling hill uh, among <laughs> no. any of them. They were all very sophisticated, very, um, Connie Begay coined a phrase called country-politan. Country-politan, I like that. And I like that too. Um, not one of you were born in a farmhouse. Uh, you really did bring bluegrass to the city. I, th I think we did. Well, I think I think we we were preceded somewhat in D.C. by, by, the, the, by yes. the country gentleman. Right. And there are there are other lots of great musicians around D.C. Bill Harrell, uh, you know, and um, uh, I don't know. The, the, but but so I feel like I, I'm proud that we're we're sort of part of that tradition. Um, and like I said earlier, one of the things I think I really am proud of is that that we may have gotten people interested in bluegrass music that had never heard it before, you know, or had only heard the really, you know, kind of hardcore stuff, which, you know, either you fall in love with instantly or you, you say, oh, I can't stand it stuff. But we've, we've gotten people listening to bluegrass-style music, and then they can go, you know, once they decide this stuff isn't so bad, they can go listen to the... Uh, How about once they decide it's really good? <laughs> Okay, that's better. That's, that, that's, that's better. a better way. That's a better way. Yeah, that's, that's the half empty, half full sort right. of thing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Pardon me. Okay. Yeah. Um, but but that's add. what I'm really proud of, proudest of, I think, is, is, is I think we'll have a pretty good legacy. Um, and I think people will probably listen to this stuff, I hope, and for the next 50 or 60 years. I hope. Um, so we'll see. If you had not had a career as a mathematician and you could have done your apprenticeship in a first-generation band, 
Which would it have been? Um, it would have been. I'd, I'd have had to play a second banjo with Lester and Earl. <laughs> uh, they are they. Actually, you know, there are so many bands that I love from back in the old days. Jim and Jesse, Alan Shelton was one of my favorite players. All those Alan, Alan Mundy, you know, but he's a he's a, he's he's my generation, so I guess that doesn't count. But no, I I would love to. I would have been fun playing with Jim and Jesse. Um, oh. But Flatt and Scruggs, I mean, Earl was just the guy that made me crazy. He's the guy, Foggy Mountain Breakdown got me, uh, was the one that got me talking to my dad about that banjo for my 16th birthday. Um, it was Pike County Breakdown for me. Was it? That's the one that caught my ear. Oh, yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's, a, that's a cool tongue. And, and the way Earl plays it is I, I can't quite figure out exactly what he's doing in it, but I, I can come close. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I used to go see Mac Wiseman um, uh, in, in, on the, that late show that I was to WRVA Theater that I was talking about, uh, and I would it would have been fun to play with him. I actually I got to play with Mac on a couple of occasions, and it's it's pretty neat. Um, but uh, yeah, I wanted to be. I wanted to be Earl. I mean, I wanted to be able to play like that, uh, and I can't. And um, at some point, you just say, "No, he's he's too." It, it's just I'll just I'll just listen to what he did and appreciate it and love it. Um, but uh, but I think if. I think if I had a choice of a, one band that I could have played in, it probably would have been Jim and Jesse. I love their singing. I love their songs. Um, and I'm going to love Jesse's mandolin playing because it's a lot like a banjo. You know, he does that cross-picking cross cross stuff. Um, and uh, as a matter of fact, I, I recorded one of their, re-recorded one of their really cool instrumentals which I never heard him do except on a record it's called Hartsville Pike you ever heard yes. that one uh, and uh, but yeah that would have been fun to play with those guys it really would have um, I used to I used to wish I used to go see the country gentlemen not always I, I would wouldn't mind gotten up and trying to play some with them I say I got to do that too when Emerson got his hand shot was it his hand yeah I got to fill in for him a couple of times, and that was a lot of fun. Um, so it really has taken you places you never ever dreamed of. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I never, I never ever thought I'd be a make a nickel playing music. I mean, I never, never even thought about it. You know, it's just like I said earlier, this whole seldom seen thing was just a big accident. <laughs> it was. It, you know, if who knows what would have happened if I hadn't taken that phone call that night. You know, That's you know, right. I really don't know. Really don't know. Um, and uh, you know, we were we were just lucky, and and to have somebody of, the, uh, of those voices of the caliber of Starlings and Mikes and and uh, and the Duff. Um, 
was just something magic. I listened to, I listened to some of those. I was listening, like I said, I was listening to some of our old stuff, which I hardly ever do, and thinking, damn, we were pretty good back then. <laughs> you were really good. <laughs> and, Not pretty good. You were really and, good. And, uh, and John uh, and Starling, you know, when he left, it's funny. You know, John Starling does a lot of cool licks with his voice. Which I, I didn't know that he, you know, wasn't aware that he did until he left. Uh, and then I go back and listen to some of the old stuff that we did. And I hear all his little little things that he does. And he still does that. And his, his actually his voice has, has really come back, too. He's singing pretty good these days. Uh, we'll call him up and get him over here. I'm sure he'd have some wise... <laughs> Some, some sage things to say. Let's make him take us to lunch. That's, that sounds like a plan. I've got his number. Anything else? Uh, no, that's it. This, is, this has been fun. And that was Katie Daly and Ben Eldridge in part three of our three-part interview. Ben celebrates a birthday on August the 15th. Ben, happy birthday from all of us, and thanks for the music. Bluegrass Stories is hosted on SoundCloud.com and can be streamed on SoundCloud, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and katydaily.com. As always, thanks for listening to Bluegrass Stories. ¶¶